Hi, welcome to Hotels 101, a podcast that di dives into the world of hotels and hospitality and leisure by meeting uh, the people involved in it day in and day out. I'm Rob Hayes, your host. I'm the president and CEO of Ashford Hospitality Trust, a hotel company that owns hotels throughout the United States. And welcome to our fifth episode. And I am super excited about our guest today, Mr. Jay Steigerwald, who's here. Jay, welcome to the show. Thank you, Rob. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So. Uh, Jay here, I've known for a few years, and uh, he is the president and head of distribution for Ashford Securities, which is based here in Dallas. And so why don't, uh, just to start, we'll stay real broad first. So just tell me a little bit about Ashford Securities and what is it you all do? So we are the newest Ashford company. Uh, essentially what we are is a fundraising platform or a capital raising platform uh, for the Ashford businesses. So essentially what we do is we put together investment products um, that individual investors can participate in through financial intermediaries and the money kind of flows through that investment and it comes into an Ashford business and it allows us to grow that business presumably. Um, so it's a source of capital and it's importantly a source of capital beyond what I would call the traditional uh, forms of raising capital being the stock market and the bond market, right? And typically in the lodging world, what I've experienced is that the time that you want the money the most, um, to, because there's great deals in the market, you're not able to access it through the capital market. So we're really a, a third engine, if you will, on the plane that allows us to finance the Ashford um, companies, businesses. Gotcha. And so it, in theory, it's a business that could be done for really kind of any business or any industry type or any property type, but you're focused on the hotel side of things. That's correct. Absolutely. Okay. And so how did you end up in in that business, in the, in the money fundraising business? I started off selling computer systems many moons ago. My father was a stockbroker in Philadelphia. Um, and I learned a lesson that you need to be uh, really careful what you say you'll never do. I was with him in the car and I'm selling computer systems. And um, one month he had made $30,000 and that was in the late 70s, a uh, considerable amount of money today, but obviously much more back then. And then the next month he made $300. And I was like, I do not wanna be on that yo-yo. Um, fast forward a couple of years later, he introduced me to one of his uh, partners and uh, I got into the business. And um, what's interesting is I love the business because every single day you wake up, you never know what's gonna happen. And I kind of need that. I have a fairly short attention span. So I wanna be able to like experience something different every day. And this business, because it's mostly driven by relationships and people, uh, allows me to kind of stay uh, attentive. So what was it like, because I think when, because you effectively started Ashford Securities, right? I mean, you were, were you employee number one? Uh, yes, I right. was employee number one. So you're employee <laughs> number one. And so what was it like trying to grow something from nothing? Um, well, we had a vision um, and pretty quickly I got my first employee. Um, it was difficult. I remember arriving and there was no computer set up. There was like nothing. And they were, and I started pinging the IT department and like, who the heck is this guy? Like, what does he want? And I'm like, hello, hello I need some help. I need equipment. Um, so it was a lot of work. It was also a lot of fun. Um, I came from another company in the business where when I went in, pretty much everything was set up and established. And one of the things that was you know, attractive to me was to build it from the very first brick up. So um, it was exciting. So one of the things I appreciate about, uh, about you, Jay, as I've gotten to know you over the past few years is 
you maybe more than anyone I know are have the ability to tell or explain things that are somewhat complex in simple sometimes whimsical ways you tell stories I, every I time did. I've been every time I've been with you you're you're telling a story to explain kind of your investment thesis or the opportunity so where did that come from is that something you've always had something you had to learn something you learned it from wow, that's how did that where did that sh come from first of all thank you uh, definitely guilty of that um, I'm very visual and I and I love stories. I think sto people relate to stories more than just data and facts and bullets that are off of some note card. Um, and I think telling stories is just something I've always done as long as I can remember, really. Okay. Yeah, I just I just know that I've been in some times with presentations with you or conferences, and I have an idea of what I'm going to say, which always tends to be more, I don't know, technical and financial. And you explain it you know, as if, I don't know, a story about being on the beach or a story about your dog or a story about smoking a cigar or whatever it may be. So it's just, a, it's a, an approach that I've always, uh, and I think it's probably more effective than what I do. Well, I also think it's important, like in financial services, more broadly speaking, to be very, uh, to try to be very down to earth and very genuine so that people can relate to you. And one of the things I was taught in computer sales school, if you will, was that you need to be able to make your pitch on an elevator ride and make it in a way that anyone whether they know your industry or not can understand it clearly so that's kind of one of always always one of my goals so maybe let's take a step back with that is so from your perspective whether you're you're in sales or in this kind of investment sales what does it mean for you to be successful like what what does it mean for you in your role to have success obviously there's just the 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 way you're raising money and if the money comes in there's a certain amount of success but when you're at your best, maybe we'll frame it this way. When you're at your best, what are you doing? What do you like? What are your, your characteristics? Yeah, so it's it's twofold. I think it's building relationships that are enduring, honest, um, thoughtful with our partners. I think with employees, and as I've gotten older, this is something that I really enjoy more, more and more. Um, it's nurturing people and training people up and coaching people. And I'm not one of these guys that will do a review for an employee on an annual basis. I mean, of course I do that, but it's kind of an ongoing conversation with the employee. Um, and what's amazing to me and so exciting is when somebody gets it and you can almost see it on their face and in their eyes, like, oh my God, I didn't realize I did that. And now I see it. And then you watch them in the room in, an, in another meeting and it's like, it's gone. Uh, or it's changed. So uh, pers personally developing people and finding, uh, bringing out their potential is really important. I also think it's really important to identify what someone is good at. And what I'm looking for is I want somebody to be good at something, but also enjoy it. And those two don't always go together. Right. And if I can find those two in a person, that's phenomenal for me as the manager. And it's phenomenal, I believe, for the company long-term. So what are some of the, as, as you've built this for the past few years, what are some of the, the victories? What are the, some of the things that you're particularly proud of that you've accomplished for the past few years? So I, it's, it's the numbers, right? So we raised about a half a billion dollars in less than two years in the alternative space. I'm only aware of two other companies that have ever done that. So like the numbers were, were really uh, something I think everybody was very happy about. Um, I think also watching people kind of develop 
is, is a key piece of it. I'll give you an example. One of the people on my team um, actually was my leasing agent at my apartment complex. And she sold me on a, a nice apartment and uh, one thing led to another and she joined the team and we decided to do a virtual happy hour for, uh, for some clients. And I noticed on her computer, she kept working on this invitation for the virtual happy hour and it looked really good. And she just was like a perfectionist about it. And I'm like, do you enjoy doing that? And she's like, I love doing this kind of stuff. Well, today she's our marketing specialist and she's been promoted, I believe, three times. Um, and that's now what I get to see her and the team gets to see her do every single day. And the quality of her work has just exploded on the upside. So she's happy um, because we pulled something out of her that, that she enjoys and she's good at. So what do you want to be... Uh, I guess as you have employees like her who've been promoted or seem to maybe be flourishing at the company, what what do you want to be true about the, the culture of Astrid Securities? What what makes it unique in the terms of the way that you guys either interact or how you, you run the operations? If somebody was going to eventually leave the company because they're on their next opportunity, what would you want them to say about their time at Astrid Securities? So I want them to say that they learned something. Um, you know, we look for people that are genuine, down to earth. I also want people that are top hands in their respective fields. Um, I feel like um, it's important that we all work together as a team. And when we walk into a room, I want everybody's egos to be checked at the door so that when we're in the room, we might wrestle with one another a little bit. Like, you know, I think I have a better idea than you do or vice versa. But at the end of that meeting, I want the best idea. And if it's from Fred, so be it. If it's you know my idea, so be it. Um, another thing I really believe in is ownership, right? So I have an expression in-house that if someone's up on the roof, one person's up on the roof, we're all up on the roof if something went sideways, right? And we'll figure out how to fix it first. And then we may circle back to it so that it doesn't happen again. But I don't want this, like, I'm gonna blame someone um, in the moment, right? I don't think that's healthy for anyone. So I want people to take ownership of their work. Um, I want them to be thoughtful um, and I want them to be creative. And I always like to hire someone who's a little bit cranky and doesn't necessarily fit in with all the other folks because I find that typically once or twice a year, that person, that squeaky wheel, that difficult person will come up with the very best idea even though sometimes they're tough to manage. <laughs> <laughs> well, what, um, I mean, what do you hope to be true for Asher Securities over the next three to five years? So uh, you guys, cause you guys, like I said, you've had a lot of success. You've raised a good amount of money over the past uh, several years, but what does five years from now look like? So I think it looks like multiple products on the platform, probably at least three or four different products simultaneously. Um, I'd like us to break in, in the financial services industry, there's what we call channels, where there's a, a bank channel, an RIA channel, a traditional kind of brokerage channel. I would like us to have products for each one of those kind of distribution channels. Um, I'd like us to have the highest quality reputation of anyone else in the industry, um, that people trust us, that we tell them the truth, the whole truth, nothing but the truth. Um, we communicate bad news uh, in a way that they understand and it's not kind of you know soft served to them. So I, I think it's it's most of the things really would be relationship based. 
Um, but I'd also like to, us to be a very dependable source of capital so that there aren't these huge peaks and then a big trough, right? right? So you take those kind of bumps out of the road because that works good for the company. Um, and um, those are a couple things that come to mind. Okay. So what was, you know, you've, you've been in the industry in a few different spots along the way. What was the best piece of, um, I don't know, I guess management advice or business advice? I mean, you're now to the point where you, you, you started this kind of company from scratch. You've been building it up. You've seen some success. I mean, what was maybe the piece of advice that you got at some point in time, whether it's all the way back from your father or from a business person, a, a yeah. associate? What, what's yeah. got to help you get there? Um, so it comes from my mother, actually. And she taught me early on that I should be the same person at school as I am at home, the same person at night that I am during the day. So um, I want to be the same Jay when um, at home in the evening with my dogs or my family or whatever um, that I am when I'm in the office. I don't want to have two different J's, right? Um, and try to keep up with that, right? So I don't want to become a different person. So I try, try to, you know, treat people well, um, have high expectations of them, treat them well. But I think it's really important that you're kind of the same steady person. Yeah, no, sense? absolutely. Well, I think people can, I don't know, people can sniff out uh, someone who's a phony. Right? I mean, yes. people can kind of tell, yes. are you really the person that you are here or is this just kind of an, an act? Yes. And I think people can respond to that in, in, you know, in a way, particularly employees. I mean, I know as myself having a bunch of children, your children sniff that out real fast, but yeah. employees <laughs> and associates do it as well. I mean, they know if you're kind of have an act over here and what you're like over here. So it seems like that's probably pretty important. Yeah. Well, uh, all right. So outside of the office, so when uh, you're, you're during the week, you're you're raising money, you're going to conferences, you're building relationships, you're guiding the company. What's 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 the passion out of the office? How do you spend your time? So I'm a dog guy. Uh, I think I'm on my sixth dog. I uh, love dogs. Um, I just adopted a little Pomeranian girl who's uh, red, red color. Um, love her to death, and I have a little boy named Benjamin. He's kind of a white-looking uh, fluffball, um, and I got her for him. And of course, I'm falling in love with her. But I love dogs. I've always loved animals. Um, in fact, I think in in another chapter of my life in the future, maybe I'll, I'll hook up with a, a pet sanctuary or a rescue something like that, and maybe help them with fundraising. Um, but I love animals. I do smoke cigars. I love cigars. Hopefully those don't necessarily go together. Um, they, they actually <laughs> often do. My doctor says you'd be much better served if you walked your dogs and didn't smoke the cigar. But I'm like, at least I'm get, I'm walking, right? He's like, yeah, but those two things kind of cancel <laughs> each other out. Um, so I do love cigars. Uh, I also paint. Um, I, uh, I'm a hack and I enjoy being a hack. Uh, but I do oil on canvas, mostly landscapes and some kind of bizarre types of stuff, which most people don't get from me. My friends look at it and they're like horrified. And then half an hour later, uh, after they've had a beer or a glass of wine, they're like, um, actually, that would look good in my living room. Can I take that? Um, and what's funny is I've got a wall around my painting because everybody's like, well, you should go learn from like, a, you know, a master how to be a better painter. And everything in my life is to improve upon. And I am not going to class to learn from some master painter. I, I just want to be a hack and you know find my way there on my own. So I'm not aspiring to be brilliant. 
um, I'm basically kind of getting some of the gunk out of my head by painting. And where did, but how did you figure that out? I mean, was this something you did in your youth and college? It, it, it was. Okay. It was something from my youth, uh, I would say roughly middle school. And then I kind of set it aside after like 10 years. And I kind of recently in the last five, six years have gone back to it. But it's, it's amazing because I'll start off with like, I'm going to do a canyon with a river, brook and, you know, trees. And then it ends up being like some kind of a sky thing. So you get halfway into a painting and it kind of sometimes does a hard left turn. It ends up being something radically different than you would expect. Now, are you talking to yourself like Bob Ross as he's sitting there making the happy little trees? <laughs> <Yeah>. and <laughs> He was phenomenal. I used to watch that show, actually. Um, I just dated myself, didn't I? Um, but... Uh, <laughs> Yeah, it's just I get crazy ideas, and it's one of these things like being, you know, the kind of the creative side. Like it'll be three months, and like not, nothing's coming to me, and then all of a sudden I'll do like three paintings in two weeks. So it just kind of finds its way there. But I find it very, very therapeutic. Gotcha. Well, it's super. It's super interesting. You know me. I mean, it was interesting because talking with um, uh, Chuck Bowman a few episodes ago, his was uh, swimming, right? So he was a swimmer in college, and he kind of even swam like Olympic trial stuff. Um, you know, it's interesting to kind of see what are the things that people have kind of in their personal lives that they, in many cases, need to stay sane just yes. to deal with the stress of work and stress of daily life and these things. And I think it's great that uh, you're a painter because I don't I mean most people wouldn't assume that you're raising money and then going home and, and painting and painting. <laughs> With your dogs and a cigar. Yeah, they don't line up exactly, but uh, but it's fun. That's, That's great. Fun. All right, a couple more questions. Um, on the fundraising, money raising side, what is it about, uh, what is hardest and what is easiest about raising money in and around the, the hotel space? Because it's not always, uh, historically speaking, hotels have been, uh, a little bit of a bastard child in the real estate world because it's a little more operational, it's a more complicated, it's a little more volatile. So maybe it'd have been easier to raise money for industrial or raise money for multifamily. Um, but there are also probably some advantages. So what, what are the kind of the, the pros and cons of trying to raise money in, in the hotel space? So I think the con is that it's viewed as being cyclical, right? There's going to be some big peaks and some troughs. Um, but I think that, that even that has changed a lot over the last 15 years because I'm old enough to remember when hotels weren't considered an institutional class of commercial real estate. And then that changed, right, roughly 15 years ago by my calendar. So I think that's gone away a little bit, but it's still there. So I think that's probably the biggest challenge. Um, on the positive side, um, they throw off gobs of income. And most investors are looking for income, right? Um, so it really lines up well there. Um, and that's what we've, you know, we've, we've been able to, to do so right. far. It seems like also the fact that it's a, a, a consumer product probably seems to help too. We've got kind of the pictures and you can say like, yeah, I'd, I'd like to stay at that hotel or I've been to that hotel versus if it's a, I don't know, an apartment complex or an industrial park. It's, it's something, but there's it's not the it, same emotional connection. Exactly, Rob. So often when we show folks a, a portfolio, they're like, oh, my God, I've stayed at a bunch of these hotels. And I'm like, well, you can own a piece of them if you want to, in essence. Um, so, yeah, people can they've been to hotels. They can touch them, feel them, experience them. And I think that familiarity really helps, too. Not gotcha. you. All right. Last question. Last question. Last one. Uh, you've probably traveled a good amount in your life. Yes. I would think so. 71 countries. Okay, that's pretty good. I, I think I'm in like 40, so 71 is a lot. Um, so the question is, favorite hotel 
of all time, right? So, and I'll kind of frame it of, Jay, you just got bad news. You're not gonna make it too much longer in life. So you have one more trip to go visit somewhere. You're gonna stay in a hotel. Where do you wanna go and why? So I'm going to London. I'm gonna stay at the Claridge's Hotel. Um, I, I stayed there many, many years ago with my mother. It was really expensive, but I had a ton of uh, reward points and I cashed them all in. And we had something really interesting happen. We shared a room and I got up early in the morning to go to the bathroom and I looked out, we kind of had, wasn't the best room, but we had like a view of, uh, of this uh, alleyway and there were about 30 um, police officers, and this was very early in the morning, that were lined up in with like flak jackets and machine guns. <laughs> and I was like, what the heck's going on? So um, I called the front desk and they're like, Mr. Starkwald, you should relax. Um, you are in the safest place in all of Great Britain right now. I'm explaining that to me. And they're like, well, the queen is coming here to dinner tonight. And the hotel is about to be locked down. And we're going to do a huge security sweep of the whole property. So that was really interesting. A couple hours later, there was a knock on the door. Uh, and there were two guys with two German shepherds and machine guns. And they're like, there's two ways we can do this. You can leave and come back in 10 minutes, or you can just stand up against the wall. So of course we stood up against the wall. We had to see what they were going to do. And they let the dogs loose. And <laughs> of course they found nothing. Um, and then later that evening, my mother and I were on the sidewalk. Uh, and it's funny when the Royals show up, they do not all show up like together. Um, They're not in like a horse and carriage. No, in the <laughs> no, and it's not even one big limo for security reasons. They kind of bring them in one at a time. And there's two kind of crazy looking guys on motorcycles in front of each car. Um, and uh, saw uh, Princess Diana, uh, King, well, I guess he's now King Charles, right. but Prince Charles uh, and the queen came to dinner. Now I wasn't dining with them, but it was, uh, it was a very memorable experience. So I think I'd go back to the Claridge's. Well, that's a cool story. All right, that's great. Well, Jay, thanks for coming on the episode. And uh, it was a pleasure getting to know you a little bit better and uh, you can get to uh, do some painting and some uh, cigar smoking with your Pomeranians tonight. Thank you, Rob. It's been yeah. great to be here. All right. So thanks, everybody, for joining us for this episode of Hotels 101. And we look forward to joining you uh, hopefully in about a month with uh, episode number six. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks. Thanks.